Hey, this is Greg McAfee, and welcome to The Greg McAfee Show. Now let's get started. Hey, welcome back to The Greg McAfee Show, where we discuss steps to successful entrepreneurship, how to take your business to new heights, and ultimately follow your dreams. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about um, great is the enemy of good. You might have heard it different ways, and we're going to talk about that today. But we're going to talk about why great is the enemy of good in our home service businesses. Okay? So one of my favorite books, which I've talked about several times um, in this podcast, is uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. We'll put it up there on the screen, just in case you've never read it. Um, I recommend reading it. It's an older book, but it still applies today. And Jim says many times throughout the book, so he says that the enemy of great is good. And I'm here to talk about that the enemy of good is great. Okay? He believes that the heart of a truly great company is corporate culture that promotes disciplined people to behave in a manner towards greatness. And I totally agree. I can't argue that. I believe that great in many ways can be the enemy of good. Now let's discuss. Great is the enemy of good is like a maxim or a precept, which means insistence on perfection often prevents implementation of good improvements. So great is the enemy to good is often used to describe how people can get caught up in making things perfect as a result, never getting anything done. And there's many examples to that. I've coached uh, different entrepreneurs who Greatest, their greatest weakness was hiring people. And it wasn't because they couldn't find people. It was because they couldn't find people who did things their way. They were a perfection and they expected everything done great. And they couldn't, if they did find someone who was that met their qualifications, they couldn't keep them because there was so much pressure on them to be like them, like the entrepreneur you know, like the founder, the owner, and they would quit. You know, they no one could do it as good as them. And it just caused a lot of problems. And it still causes problems today. A guy, a guy who is no longer with us on this earth that I talk about a lot is John D. Rockefeller. And John D. Rockefeller also said, Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. He believed that the truly ambitious among us have a distaste distaste for comfort. And he believed that the truly ambitious would never settle for good enough because they know that good enough turns into just okay after a while. And again, 
I totally agree with him. We should never settle for good enough if it's going to lead us to a slippery slope of being just okay. Because just okay, I didn't grow my business for 33 years on just being okay. You know, I've always shot for the stars. I've always um, aimed for excellence. But I've learned that great can be the enemy of good. And I'm going to tell you why here in a little bit. You're going you're gonna to learn in your business that that can be the case. So the challenge in our line of work is, is we can't be great all the time. And here's why. Most of us employ many people. And I have many people touching things. And I can have the best of training programs. And we can have soft skills. We can have hard skills. We can go over the McAfee way of how we do things. Every company has their way, by the way. Every company has their way. I put it down on a card. And, and, and the McAfee way is maintaining integrity, taking care of people, demonstrating culture, give consistency to everyone, be growing and learning and innovative, and make wise decisions as a team. That's the McAfee way. And everything we do is tied back to that McAfee way. Training is tied back to that McAfee way. Doing business, tied back to that McAfee way. Even in our reviews, tied back to the McAfee way. How did you do it, these things? And they're rated. And for a while, we gave a bonus increase if everything was extremely high on the McAfee way card. Um, I say for a while because I haven't been touching that in a while, and I don't know if we truly do it, so I can't say we still do it. Okay. Uh, we can... Uh, we can get caught up in trying to get the great out of our team, but we, we the team, can't be great in all that we do. So a lot of times good is good enough. Good is good enough. Now let me give you an example here. In my real world, in your real world, I like examples. So if this helps you, let me know. Leave a note. Text me. There's a message placed right there below. Leave, leave me a note. Tell me how we're doing. You know, I have, I have people all the time say, thanks for all you do. I'd like to meet you someday. Um, but let me, know, let me know how these podcasts go for you. Are you learning anything from them? All right, here's my example. If we had a service technician who was average at generating leads and their leads provided for the whole month came to $130,000 in installations 
and they had generated 35,000 from service repairs, which equates to 165,000 total for the month. And they only had um, one to one and a half percent recall volume. And then we have a service technician who was great at producing leads and they averaged 350,000 in installations per month and 50,000 in service repairs, which equates to 400,000 versus 165,000. Now, 400,000 total, but this person, this technician had a four to five percent recall volume. And some of the other technicians were getting upset because they had to, you know, follow up on these recalls and they had to fix things and and they were getting upset. And maybe one manager even said, you know, this guy's got to go. Really? Okay. <laughs> my 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 answer is really? Because this guy's producing 400,000 compared to 165,000. I can afford as the owner to hire someone to just follow up on his four to 5% recalls. Now, do we like recalls? Absolutely not. We despise recalls just like you do. Recalls are very expensive. They don't make us look good and all those things. And yes, we have trained and trained and trained on what not to do and how to avoid a recall. But this person's strengths is providing leads. And this person's strengths are upselling on repairs. They're not ripping anyone off. They're doing what they are supposed to do and they do a great job at it. But from time to time, they overlook some things and it causes a recall. Good or great, 100, 165,000, one to 1.5% recall volume. And I never, I'll be honest with you, I never used to understand just how many recalls is allowed. I've visited many heating and air conditioning companies, some of the best in the United States. And you're always going to have recalls. Anytime there's a human involved, we're going to have recalls. And, you know, one of my, one of the people that I had on my board of, my first board of advisors said um, he was in uh, the, the tool and die world. Um, he was really good at putting um, systems in place. And that's why he was on my board. But he was in the, he was in the manufacturing tool and die machine shop world where, I mean, recalls were down to the 0.00 something volume. In other words, his question was, if you owned an airline and you had 3% um, recall, you could have several ac plane accidents, plane crashes per day. So, and he's right. And um, that made us sharpen our pencil and sharpen our skills rather and get very serious about recalls. But recalls are st still going to happen.
um, things are overlooked and things are uh, problems are not found and uh, things just happen. A circuit board is sporadic. It worked while we were there and then that night and when it dropped down to zero, it quit working. So a recall is a recall. How many you should have the least amount possible. But I'm getting at this individual was exceptional, exceptionally did well in certain things like producing leads and and producing more in-service repairs. Uh, he just had this one issue of higher recall. So um, if this individual worked for us, we would continue to work on the recalls. Um, but we're also realizing his skill is in other areas. And, uh, and uh, would you fire him for too many recalls? And uh, great may be the enemy to good here because you can afford to pay someone to run his recalls as he generates two and a half times the volume of revenue as the other technicians, as most of the other technicians. Uh, here's another example. A CSR is great with customers, handles all the admin very well, and they take approximately 25 calls a day. Uh, and she sells approximately uh, 10 agreements per month. Um, and then you have another CSR who's great with customers, is not the best in admin. Uh, they need told to be organized often. And um, even when it's her time to file, um, it takes forever and it's not always in the best order. However, she takes 50 calls, two and a half times more per day, and sells 25 agreements, two and a half times more per month. Who's good, who's great, and why? They're both good. The one that has issues in admin, that's just not her expertise. The one who has more recalls may not be the top of the line, top-notch technician, may not be as good at troubleshooting, but their skill is in upselling and providing leads, which if anyone is in the business knows, that's what you must have to excel and stay in business. So this CSR, um, remember, good is the bedrock to which great is built. You may also have a problem with knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your team. Because if we had a CSR who was like that, we would never expect them to file very often or do admin work. We would put them in, in the position to succeed and answer phone calls and upsell over the phone. That's what they do best. And the other person, we might expect them to do more admin work. They're extremely well at it, extremely well at filing, and okay at taking phone calls and selling agreements. Okay? So good is the bedrock to which great is built. You may, um, and by the way, all four of these employees are solid employees. In, in my eyes, they're all solid employees. 
None of them are great because great is a destination and good is the journey to get there. And <clears throat> excuse me, if they're all in the right seat, I don't think they are. Like I said, you, if you read The Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about getting everybody on the bus and then getting them in the right seat. Instead of pushing yourself and your company to the impossible of sometimes great and getting nowhere except good, except good. Keep doing good well. Keep getting better. Good can get you to great if you know your team and you know and they know their expectations and what they should be doing. Good will get you to great. And don't leave here, don't shut this podcast off thinking Greg McAfee does not believe in doing things great. You better believe I do. And if you've ever worked for me, you know I do. But there are times where Great is the enemy to good, and good is solid and acceptable. We had a technician one time, and we do encourage our technicians to upsell and offer things that customers don't even know they need. Remember, Henry Ford said, if I would have asked the customer what they needed, they would have said a faster horse. So sometimes you have to offer customers what they don't know they need. And we do that. That's what we're, we're trained. We train people to do that and how to ask and when to ask and how to say things and all that kind of stuff. But we had a technician who um, decided he wasn't doing real good at that. And, and we suggested some things like, what are you what do you really believe in out of all these things we have to offer and if you're in the heating and air conditioning business you know you have air purifiers and air cleaners and humidifiers and dehumidifiers and and carbon monoxide detectors and at McAfee we have low level carbon monoxide detectors which go off at 10 parts per million um, instead of a 100 or 150 sometimes and yes, they're more expensive, but when do you want, if you have a child or an elderly person at home, when do you want to know you have carbon monoxide in the house? As soon as possible. So low-level carbon monoxide detectors are great. We, we believe in them and we sell them, <clears throat> and we have for 10 years. Okay, so um, we, have a car, we had a technician who um, just wasn't doing well at upselling. So we, we talked to him and we asked him, what, what do you truly believe in here? And he said, well, I'll be honest with you, I bought a low-level carbon monoxide detector. I have it in my house, um, and I truly believe in that. And then we said, let's focus on that. What if you tell everyone that you have one of these in your house, and this is why you do, and this is why you believe in it, and this is why you're passionate about it. Let's see what happens. And he went from... And this was in the winter time when we started this, of course, and, and in winter time in Ohio, it can get cold. And so he started at selling one, two a day, and then all of a sudden it led to three and four and five a day, which led to um, 
20 to 35 a month. And he excelled and he was he beat everyone. He was selling some somewhere between 10 and 15 times more. But do you think we got on him for not selling humidifiers or not selling dehumidifiers or not selling air purifiers? No. I was involved in this and I said, leave him alone. Let him focus on these low-level carbon monoxide detectors and let him go for it. And don't throw anything else in the mix. And that, I look at that as, yeah, he would have been great if he would have upsold everything. But he was really, really, really good at selling low-level carbon monoxide detectors. And I did not want to lose that. And actually, I wanted others to see that and, and, and figure out how they can be good at it in something. So ever since then, we've always tried to say, um, find your niche. Find your niche and go for it. Believe in it. Be passionate about it. Offer it often and then tell people why. <clears throat> um, my, our first house we bought, and I, I, I've, I've told this before, but we, um, we got married, we bought our first house, and we started McAfee all in the same year, 1990. And this is our 33rd year. We, we have sold the first house, uh, but we are still married. And, and of course, we're still in business. So I, um, I put a very high efficiency furnace and a very high air conditioner in my home after a couple years that I could afford to do so, even though I own my own company. Um, and I put a, um, at the time, Honeywell electronic air cleaner was the thing. And I had a HEPA 600 HEPA shield uh, air uh, purifier, air, air uh, oh, what's it called? 99.9% um, .9 HEPA air cleaner. And uh, so what do you think I sold the most of? High efficiency? HEPA air cleaner, Honeywell electronic air cleaner. Why? Because I had one. I was passionate about it. If Greg McAfee put it in his own house, it's good enough for us. And that's what people would say. And that's what I sold. And I was passionate about it. I owned it. It was mine. That's why I sold. If we would have had another salesman at the time and they only sold 80% efficient and some high efficient and some electronic air cleaner, would that make them a bad salesperson? No. It would make them good. And the great came from my passion. So, so yeah, we push for great, but we know when to stop at good. You have people in place. They're not all going to be great. It would be degrading if you were only looking for great. Because that's hard. You're, gonna, you're looking for water walkers. And I only know of one who walked on water. Okay. So, also, speaking of walking on water, speaking of biblical things, um, I believe in the Bible and I read it often. And um, if you want to look at um, Luke 10, 38 through 42, um, which we will put up there in a minute, but in this verse, you see, we also see that Mary's example of choosing the best uh, Martha was very, Mary and Martha were sisters. Jesus came to visit them. 
and have a lunch with them at their house. And um, Martha was very busy serving guests and and she was certainly very good um, at what she did. Uh, however, Martha was in so much unrest trying to so hard to please Jesus and make a good impression that she didn't realize at the moment that the best or the great thing to do was just to sit at Jesus's feet like her sister Mary did. And Mary understood that she needed to hear what Jesus said and used that opportunity to sit and listen, which was good. It was actually great for us. The more we hear from Jesus, the more we read the word, the more we stay on our, on our knees, it's good to great. It becomes great, um, and it will pay off in the end. Uh, but while we're on this earth, it is a good to great thing to do. Another bit, um, and, and that's Luke 10, 38 through 42. We'll put it up there for a minute. That's where you can find that at. Now, one more biblical example um, has to do with what, uh, how I did something at the time uh, with someone. But in Malachi 3.10, um, the ESV version, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. God says, it's the only place I know of in the Bible, God says, put me to the test. Um, and if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, then basically he said, don't tithe. So a tithe is a tenth. You can find that in the Bible in different places, but a tithe means a tenth. So a tenth of your gross income is given as a tithe to the church. And no, the church doesn't need your money, but you need to give. That's my opinion. Um, so in Malachi, God puts us to a test and says, bring your full tithe, your full 10% into my storehouse, which is the church that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't believe. And um, that's what the Bible says. <clears throat> I believe that because I did not believe in tithing at one time. When I became a Christian, God continued to work on me and show me, and I became fully involved, fully full believer in tithing, and I've never looked back, and I continue to tithe both personal and business, and many years ago, I was meeting with a, a new Christian who was, was something like me, and he, as a new Christian, he didn't believe in the tithe, but he wanted to obey God, and he was in debt, and he had a lot of debt, <clears throat> and he... Um, was really concerned about paying 10%, that if he gave 10%, then he wouldn't have enough money to um, pay his debt and all that kind of stuff. Now, some people would have pushed him and said, the Bible says 10%, pay your 10%, trust God, 
and, and, and see what he can do. Um, but as I was giving him counsel, I just felt led to do this. And I said, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Could you afford to tithe 5%? And he said, I really can't afford to tithe anything, but 5% is a lot easier for me than 10 right now. Um, and I said, well, here's my challenge. Here's my test to you. Start giving 5%. And after six months, if things aren't getting better for you and you don't see a difference in your life, then just stop giving. But if you do see a difference in your life, your debts are still getting paid off, would you bump it up to 10%? And they said, I'll accept that challenge. And sure enough, things got better for them as they gave to God because your whole life, your whole heart changes when you start giving. It just does something to you. And um, he started seeing a difference in his life. He didn't miss any payments, still had food on the table. And uh, sure enough, after six months, they bumped it up to 10%. And uh, they never looked back. And they're full tithing 10%. And they believe in it. And they do it. And they tell other people about it. And that's good. But I could have easily said, you need to go for the best it's, it's biblical. Go for the best. But 5% is good. It's more 5% more than you're giving right now. Try it for six months. If God doesn't bless you, quit giving. Because I just know how God works. And he blesses people who are willing to give and they believe in what they're doing. And for him, he just needed to trust God and when he when he found out that the he didn't miss the five percent, and he could give ten percent and not miss it, and actually have more money, because it's been proven um, that it made a whole difference in his life and his his family's life, and, and and probably generations for generations will be changed because of him. Okay, wrapping it up here. I had an installer years ago um, who was an extreme perfectionist, and he was with me ten years. Uh, we trained him from scratch. I did. We were. It was my first, you know, ten years in business. He was a great guy, and I liked him a lot. And uh, he had very high standards, which I appreciated. And uh, he liked nice things and clean guy, just nice, orderly, good guy. Um, and I and I understood that, but. It also, after a while, when he ran his own crew and um, a lot of guys would butt heads with him because he expected so much. He expected the great of everything. Um, but then I started realizing it was taking him two plus more hours per day to do uh, a job than any other crew. Uh, now, it looked nice. It looked extremely nice. And, but... The other jobs looked extremely good, and they both performed the same way, performance-wise, same way. But when you figure paying two guys two more hours a job in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time, it really adds up. And I, you know, I had to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with him. And there's some things that 
I did not expect him to do that he continued to do. And um, great costs too much sometimes, um, especially if the customer noticed zero difference between jobs. Um, I chose good and he could just, he could not live with that. And he ended up going, leaving. Um, he never, he had several jobs. He never found a place that he just really fit in um, because of his extreme perfection attitude. Um, sometimes good is good. Um, and deep, uh, a person named Deep Patel used to write for Forbes magazine. He said this, effective work is about moving toward the desired destination and not necessarily about ensuring that nothing gets spilled or knocked over in the process. Mistakes will happen. The more people you have, the more mistakes happen in a day. We, uh, we know that. Missteps, missteps will occur. It's momentum that matters and ensuring that time is not wasted obsessing over the little things that won't end up moving the needle anyway. Wow. What a way to end. What a way to end. Great can be the enemy to good. Great holds a lot of people back. Great keeps people from making more money, hiring more people, growing their company, and everything else they do in life. Great causes divorces. It really does. The expectation of what is expected for a spouse sometimes causes divorces. It does. Okay. So I hope this uh, I hope this helps you. Um, I hope that um, you don't walk out of here going um, or or leave this podcast thinking that I am not for excellence because I'm all about excellence. But sometimes good is good enough, and and I'm happy with it, and it does us well. I've learned the hard way. Okay. Before we wrap up, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe below. You can also support this podcast by rating and reviewing on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Keep listening. I'll keep doing my best to challenge you. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Greg McAfee Show. No spaces, no underscores. Be sure to tune in next week and we'll discuss another good business topic Thanks for listening, and as always, carry on, and God bless. Have a great day.